0: Welcome to Viva La Vulva, the podcast that explores and teaches about the goodness of the vulva. Here is your host, Dr. Kara Quant, an internal medicine doctor and advocate for female sexual health. Welcome to the Viva La Vulva podcast. I am your host, Dr. Kara Quant, and I thank you for joining us today. I have a special guest on the podcast. Her name is Casey Dannenhower, and she is a doctor of physical therapy and yoga instructor. And she's also the owner of Enlightened Physical Therapy, which is a conscious care for pelvic health uh, in Santa Monica. Her mission is to provide conscious care for her clients by finding balance between evidence-based science And uh, an integrative consideration of the physical, emotional, energetic, and spiritual systems for maximizing whole body health, which I absolutely love. And Casey sees clients privately for pelvic floor physical therapy and teaches in group settings through pelvic health wellness events, including her retreat to your root retreats and workshops. So I thank you so much, Casey, for joining me on the podcast today.
1: You're welcome. Thanks for having me. <laughs> excited to have this talk.
0: Yes. And Casey reached out to Viva La Vulva through what email or you messaged us and was like, Hey, can I talk about yoga and pelvic health? So I was like, yes, I would love to get more information and have the listeners get more information about how you integrate the two together.
1: Yeah, it's, um, a kind of a non-traditional pairing in some ways, but definitely a powerful one and one that I've been using somewhat yeah. successfully with different groups of people. So that's been cool over the last few years. Yeah. So tell
0: me, how did you get interested in combining both of them together?
1: Well, my whole journey in the pelvic health world has been kind of both personal and professional. So mm-hmm. I was working one-on-one with people in a kind of a traditional pelvic floor PT setting. And I happened to be working at a clinic that was seeing pretty intense pelvic pain patients in terms of people who'd had multiple surgeries and multiple injections and all sorts of different kinds of therapies. And intense chronic pain. And so these people were really afraid to move men and women with pelvic pain. Mm -hmm. And I started kind of just doing traditional PT with them, meaning um, for those of the listeners that don't know pelvic floor, physical therapy um, can involve a lot of different things, but I was really focused on the manual therapy aspect. So using my hands to mobilize the fascia and muscles and trigger points and nerves, basically from in the center core of our body, kind of abdomen, back, buttocks, legs, and then the the pelvic region, both externally around the external genitals and internally along the internal pelvic floor. So I was doing that and people get better for sure, but there's, there's a certain gap in the extent to which people could get better or were getting better and I just wanted them to be able to start to move in a way that felt safe Mm -hmm. and um, in my own personal yoga practice I had shifted for many reasons from kind of a very strong vinyasa kind of power yoga practice to being more and more gentle and restorative and Bit more comprehensive in terms of what yoga truly is, which is a lot more than just the physical practices. It's much more of the meditation and the mindfulness aspects of things. The breathe, the breath work is very powerful, mm. and so I started just modifying some of the practices that I was doing myself and and using my kind of PT terminology or my knowledge of the pelvic floor and the anatomy and the pelvis to really help my patients to zoom in on healing their pelvic floors through movement, awareness, and breath. And so that's kind of how it started and it's evolved in many ways since then, but mm. but that's kind of the origins. Mm. So, you said
0: that you are a yoga instructor and you have brought that into your practice in terms of physical therapy.
1: Yeah. So, I do, let's say, a a typical session would be a patient comes in and we might do, we will do an evaluation where we look at the whole body from head to toe, as well as having a full on discussion about everything from postural habits and functional tasks of what they're doing throughout their day to uh-huh. diet, to sleep, to lifestyle. And so we'll do the education piece is really important. The manual therapy piece is really important. And then most of the time we're doing some sort of breath practice with movement, or perhaps it's just a meditation and mindfulness and body scan. But I really try to, to, aim to have some sort of the yoga aspect as part of all of my patients' home programs as well. And honestly, for some people, yoga is like a very charged term. Uh-huh. Um, so for the people that that term resonates with, and I can tell that that's going to be like a, a solid <laughs> way they, they think they're going to, that, that they believe they're going to heal, then that's an important term to use. And for other people, yoga is a really big turnoff, and the idea of it is just a big no-no. Mm-hmm. Interesting, it's almost like a danger signal. Like, oh no, I don't do yoga. I'm not <gasps> flexible enough for yoga, or um, I can't sit still enough for yoga. And so, I just, I might be doing the exact same practices, or just reframing it. And in the physical therapy world, I'm accountable to the more Western standardized way of doing physical mm-hmm. therapy as well. In my PT language, I'll talk about the yoga practices and the breath practices we're doing as therapeutic exercise, mm-hmm. neuromuscular reeducation. Mm. So, just reframing the
0: terms can help somebody that is uh, averse to yoga.
1: That is what I thought. Yeah. <laughs> I like
0: There's that. <laughs> I mean, not in not in a bad way, but you know, I, I think that when people have their mindset, then it can turn them off to a different way of thinking or a different perspective. Uh, but when you refer, you know, when you change the wording around, it can change a lot.
1: Yeah. There, I mean, there really is great power in our words. And the funny thing is a lot of the movements or positions I'm teaching from like a, a physical standpoint, aren't very different than what you would get. Maybe if you went to a class, a level one class, you know, in your local yoga studio, but it's the verbiage that, and the cueing that's specific to the pelvic floor that truly makes it very healing and powerful for people with pelvic floor dysfunction. Mm-hmm. So the home play that you have
0: them do and the sessions that you are doing with a client, is it usually incorporating yeah some type of uh, yoga or breathing practice or mindfulness into those sessions?
1: Yeah, usually. So yesterday I just had a patient that I had seen her first visit. We did a lot of talking and we really didn't get to too much of, of like a home program prescription. So we spent the first 30 minutes in my studio space, just experimenting with therapeutic movements that would help her to kind of embody the more physical aspects that we had talked about on the first day so for example we did cat cow which is kind of on your hands and knees going Uh from an arched spine to a rounded spine and she'd done that in yoga classes she's a big yogi she did practiced kind of high level vinyasa yoga but we were talking about the pelvic floor and what the pelvic floor was doing so As she inhales, I was cueing her for a softening and an opening at the base of her body around her perineum, around her vagina. And then on her exhale, I was cueing for a little bit more awareness and a contraction up and in of her pelvic floor. Uh So those are are aspects of that movement that she'd never thought about, but that she could also easily incorporate if she does choose to kind of go back to her regular classes as well. Uh
0: Ooh, interesting.
1: Well, first, what type of symptoms
0: does yoga and the pelvic floor physical therapy help? Like, how does putting those two together help with the the conditions and the symptoms of pelvic floor dysfunction?
1: Sure. So, I think the zoomed out answer is mm-hmm. that just by focusing our awareness into an area we're shifting how our body and our central nervous system, our brain is relating to that area. Uh So there are, I mean, there's lots of research that's, that has come out confirming very ancient practices recently in terms of meditation and yoga, but the physiological effects of improving blood flow and decreasing heart rate and, kind of those more mind-body aspects of, of the yoga practice in general is going to be therapeutic for anyone. Mm-hmm. Um, but the patients and the, the people that I tend to see usually have somewhat of a disconnect with that area of their bodies, whether it's from trauma or just a history of pain. So I see a lot of people, wide variety of diagnoses, but everyone from Uh, women who have endometriosis, women who have um, painful intercourse, repeated UTIs and yeast infections, fibroids and cysts are a big diagnosis that comes into my clinic, variety of kind of tailbone issues and issues with pregnancy and delivery and postpartum. Mm urinary incontinence and prolapse are also very big, a big group that I see. And mm-hmm. I, I also see actually some men as well. A lot of that's for kind of chronic pelvic floor hypertension as well. Mm. Wow. So, I mean, it seems like
0: there's a wide range of conditions that come in that you help treat.
1: Definitely, and yeah. the common link usually is pain. But then the incontinence and prolapse crowd requires a little bit of a different lens. And and again, maybe we're doing the same movements, but mm-hmm. the verbiage would be a little bit different. Maybe geared more towards strengthening versus softening and relaxing. Mm-hmm. And you were saying
0: about repeated UTIs and um, yeah. recurrent vaginitis that you see. Also.
1: I do, yeah. And the interesting thing is a lot of times I'll have clients who come in for as PT clients who have pelvic pain that mimics either a yeast infection or UTI. Mm -hmm. And they've treated with rounds and rounds Mm -hmm. of antibiotics. Mm -hmm. I'm sure you've seen this in your (laughs) but there's actually an absence of an infection and yet their symptoms continue to persist. And What we do a lot of, I do a lot of education about the nervous system and the reflexes that are present in our body, and how there is a reflex that once we have an infection kicks on to the muscles and the fascia in the surrounding area to go into protection mode, Mm. and how certain people's bodies, depending on A variety of factors can sometimes get stuck in that loop of being in that protection response Mm -hmm. that actually then creates like the sensation of a UTI, the burning Mm. with urination and the painful filling of the bladder, Mm -hmm. when in fact, it's their fascia and their muscles that are the source of the problem at that point. Mm, And so the yoga, the movement, the breath work and relaxation combine with the Manual therapy is mm-hmm. usually very helpful in helping people to kind of calm that reflexive response. Mm-hmm. And yeah, uh, like you said, I do see a whole bunch of patients that come
0: in with recurrent UTI infections or recurrent vaginitis, and I will do a swab and they're, uh, for the vaginitis or the discharge for um, the people that don't know what vaginitis is. But doing a swab and not getting anything back, but because I don't have anything else to give, it's I sometimes will give medication for it. And so I have had these women coming in with recurrent uh, UTIs, recurrent vaginitis, and they're like, why am I not getting better? Like, you know, I don't have an STI. I don't have anything else. Like, why am I not getting better? And I feel like that's kind of where Western medicine stops or we just don't have the tools. And so it is good to know that there are people like you out there that can help women our are owners to relax that area, the pelvic floor, and hopefully prevent them from having further episodes.
1: Yeah. And I think what, what ends up happening is then we start to shift more into also the emotional and energetic bodies. And, and once we can look at vulva well, owners i love that you know yeah that. You. <laughs> once we look at, at them more as as a whole system rather just okay that's a urethra that keeps getting irritated or mm-hmm. inflamed what i love about doing this education and allowing people to kind of go inside of their bodies and touch with their awareness and their attention areas that have maybe just Just been associated with pain or or irritation or or infection, there's usually some sort of insight that comes along with that. Mm. And a lot of the benefits of yoga are in stress reduction. If we're just kind of giving it a big umbrella term. And I know when the nervous system comes out of that fight or flight state and into the parasympathetic, that rest and digest state, through whatever means that is for you. So it could be getting on your yoga mat, or it could be the yoga of walking down the street mindfully, or going on a walk in the forest, or stopping to smell the roses. But if there's a calming of the nervous system, that's when our bodies heal and that that benefit alone of these mindfulness and yoga based practices has been what has really resonated with me personally and what i try to not even preach to my clients because you kind of just have to show them and then i'll take off my pt hat for a second and then when you start to look a little bit more closely at your own life or the patient looks at their life the things that arise that maybe are causing stress or are not in alignment or are not in balance that the body is perhaps through the energetic and the emotional systems signaling to us. Mm-hmm. So that's a lot. People start making shifts whether it's who they're choosing to let in there in and around their vulvas mm-hmm. or the types of products that they're using mm-hmm. in terms yeah. of chemicals but all these little things that can can start to definitely have an impact on the health of vulvar pelvic health, you definitely start to get this wide zoomed out version of trying to figure out the most concise way to say it, but just Mm -hmm. all the other things in your life. That are contributing to your symptoms. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I actually,
0: I just had a episode or a couple episodes ago. um, I talked about bacterial vaginosis because there's a lot of people that come in with recurrent episodes and it's like, I don't know what's going on. I've treated them and they come back in with the same symptoms. And so there was one patient that I saw not too long ago, but she was saying that She kept having recurring episodes. It was like once a month almost that she was having this discharge that wouldn't go away even after treatment. And so I asked her because I do believe, you know, there is a definite mind body connection and that our thoughts can manifest into physical ailments. And so I was like, well, you know, is there anything going on with the, with your relationship or with your partner? And she was like, "Mm -hmm." and you know, she, it wasn't an aha, but it was just, she realized that it could be the relationship that she was in that wasn't serving her well. And I was talking about my own experience with discharge, vaginal discharge, and how it kind of came up from me believing that there was pressure to have sex with a partner of mine that I've had sex with before. But the discharge left after there was a resolution of that pressure. So I do believe that there is a mind body connection and that our thoughts can definitely manifest into physical things. It sounds like that's what you are. Also, the approach is, you know, the emotional and the energetic aspect of a patient or of a client.
1: Definitely. And there there's great, great wisdom within our bodies and specifically within our vulvas and our pelvises and our uteruses. I mean, from an energetic standpoint, that is where life is created. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is a very powerful energy center. And there is a great connection to our sense of being and our sense of survival in this area. And I'm kind of going off now into a connection to the chakra systems, which again is kind of a yoga-based philosophy as well. Mm-hmm. But yeah, there's great power there. There is, yes. And um, I was also,
0: when I was doing research on you, I saw that you are certified in so many different practices, which I love. And Reiki and nutrition are other practices that you have been certified in.
1: Yeah, Reiki was, I started my journey down the Reiki training through needing a a way to care for myself to Mm -hmm. kind of recharge my battery after doing a lot of patient care in a day. Um, Uh. I went through a period of adrenal fatigue and I just, I needed something else besides just unrolling my yoga mat and sitting and listening to my breath um, for meditation to engage in some self care and That is something that I definitely incorporate using with my clients as well, especially to those who are open to it. So I'm very lucky to have my practice in Los Angeles. And so you know, a patient walks in and they already have their team of, of providers. They have yes. their <laughs> and
0: they're,
1: they're sex therapist, mm-hmm. their sound healer. Yeah, <laughs> and, You know, we live in a place where the, all of that is very, very normal. And so yes. a lot of people mm-hmm. do see that I do Reiki on, and request that along with the manual therapy. But originally it started out as a self-care. And then the same is true for the functional nutrition And health coaching program. I did that uh, with a woman named Jessica Drummond, who is an amazing, amazing resource. Um, She started an institute called the Integrative Women's Health Institute, and she does all sorts of continuing education for healthcare providers, as well as one-on-one work with clients. But her program actually was what helped me to identify that I was going through adrenal fatigue, and that Mm. I needed a break, and that I needed to make major, major shifts in my life in order Mm. to feel healthy again. And so again, it started off kind of as a personal journey, but it, it overlapped so, so clearly with, with work that I would be able to offer my clients. And so I give very rudimentary nutrition advice, I always refer out for that aspect, because if I feel like it's an important part of the patient's plan or, yeah. or, or what's going on with them in the mm-hmm. whole picture, but the self-care and kind of calming the nervous system component of the work I did with Jessica through that training has made major shifts in my life. Hmm.
0: Now, let me ask you, did you hear your body kind of talking to you during the fatigue? Like did you know that you were fatigued and was just pushing it to the side?
1: Absolutely.
0: yeah <laughs>
1: <laughs> it gets to scream louder and louder and louder. <laughs> and, and I don't know if you I can definitely share my story um if you if you want me to. Yeah, uh, sure. So I think that I've was experiencing adrenal fatigue since I was in high school. Honestly, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I was—I went to a pretty hard prep school here in LA, and I was a gymnast. And I worked out twenty-five hours a week wow. outside of school. Mm-hmm. And it's funny—I recently just found a journal from when I was in high school, and I basically every entry I wrote, "I'm exhausted. I don't know how I'm going to get everything I need wow. to be done." but that was just normal. Like I, I got straight A's and Yeah, I won and I just kind of did the thing. And, yeah. and was that overachiever, really internal striving for perfection mm-hmm. kind of person. And then that continued through college and it continued for three more years in grad school. And then I got out into the real world and started working in an orthopedic clinic, actually as a physical therapist. And There were days where I would see 25 people in a day. Yeah, that's a lot. And it's hands-on work. And so I was exhausted and tired and eventually found my way into the pelvic health world and was happy because I was seeing patients one-on-one now for an hour. And so I could kind of do just a max of eight a day. But still, that was back-to-back. I had about three or four minutes to Change the sheets, wash my hands, write Mm -hmm. a note, and move on to the next person. And my body, all along the whole time, was definitely telling me that it was not okay. Mm -hmm. I could not get enough sleep. I had recurrent UTIs Mm -hmm. and yeast infections. And then that kind of overlaps with relationship stressors. Yeah. And then when I started treating, Men and women with pelvic floor dysfunction. I started having more and more pelvic symptoms. So I had always had some pain with intercourse, mm-hmm. um, and then I started developing urinary symptoms like urge incontinence. So I would just pee my pants at the sound of running water for mm-hmm. basically no reason. Yeah, ex- except that I was really, really stressed. Yeah, and and then the final thing was basically I just ca- started having really, really long cycles, like 70 or 80 day cycles, not getting my period. Mm. And that started to really worry me. And that was kind of the last straw. Like, okay, I I really need to take care of my body a little Mm -hmm. bit better.
0: (laughs) Just a little bit. (laughs) right? (laughs) Yeah. I asked that question earlier about, you know, you listening to your body because I Feel that I'm. I ask that question all the time to patients. It's like you're coming in because you have pain that you have been ignoring for a certain amount of time, and you know, like some people will come in at the very end when they can't walk or when they are just in in ten out of ten pain. And I feel like it's because we don't necessarily listen to our bodies and and relax and allow ourselves recovery and relaxation and, you know, restful sleep and, and all of those, those things. And actually I was just talking to someone yesterday that was saying the same thing. She was like, I have severe knee pain. I use a cane and it's because for years I had this pain that I was not taking care of.
1: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's interesting as a gymnast, I always, in my mind, I always thought, wow, I'm so connected with my body. I can make it do all these really cool things. But and in the years after stopping, I was, I really saw that actually it was just really good at forcing it to do things mm-hmm. <laughs> and not really listening to the pain signals and, and what can be very, very subtle signs that our body is trying to tell us that something's not in alignment or there are stressors that are causing the whole system to be thrown out of balance.
0: Yeah. Yeah. And so what practices did you do to help you get more in alignment, to listen to your body more? What were you doing?
1: Well, I quit my job. (laughs) (laughs) And I actually went on three yoga retreats in a row. And that's actually where the idea for Retreat to Your Root was sparked. But. Mm -hmm. I basically started to slow way down. I started doing restorative yoga, which is a fully supported practice using bolsters, blocks and blankets and holding comfortable supported positions for long periods of time. Mm -hmm. I dove into meditation. I did a 10 day silent meditation retreat. I, started walking at that point when things were really bad, I couldn't walk more than 30 minutes without needing to take a two hour nap.
0: Mm.
1: And I started dancing and feeding my body better. I cut out sugar for a while. I am addicted to sugar, (laughs) but you notice the difference. So when you're, when you start to feed your body foods that are Mm anti-inflammatory, it makes a huge shift too. And then I changed my schedule. So for me waking up early, like 6am to see 7.30am patients was just feeding into my fatigue. And so mm-hmm. I, I shifted my days later and that mm-hmm. has made a huge,
0: huge difference. Mm-hmm. Yes. I mean, I know when I got out of <laughs> so residency for People that don't know, it's usually early morning getting up, especially if you're like a, a surgeon or some type of person that is operating, and then usually being in the hospital for long hours at a time. And I know after I got out of residency, I was like, I need more sleep. Like I just need to sleep. And so I prefer. I mean, like for my my jobs after that, I, I'm like, I want to start seeing patients at nine. Like I don't want to see patients any earlier than that because I want my sleep. So I know, I know sleep is so important. So Mm -hmm. important. Yeah.
1: There's actually, um, have you heard of yoga Nidra? No, I haven't. So yoga Nidra is the, the yoga of sleep. And I've done this practice a lot more over the last year. I learned about it from my teacher, Uma Dinsmartuli, but it's basically you're trying, you're actually not trying to do anything. You are resting Mm. and you find this space that is kind of the liminal space between awake and asleep. And it is truly where the parasympathetic nervous system comes down and healing on all of the bodies, the physical, emotional, energetic bodies can take place. And that practice has been, incredibly useful for me. And I've been starting to use it with a lot more of my retreat curriculums as mm. well. And
0: how do you do it? I mean, so you just, what are you just like laying down or?
1: <laughs> it's laying in a, down. almost yeah. sleep,
0: But no, not really um, sleep? Yeah,
1: like as comfortable as a position as you can get. Mm-hmm. And essentially I listen to recordings. It's a guided practice usually. So there's actually an awesome resource called the Yoga ni- Network.org. There's tons of free recordings on that site. And I just choose one depending on what I feel like I need for the day. So like last night I couldn't sleep. And so I listened to a sleep one. Mm-hmm. And it's um, a lot more than just a guided meditation. And mm-hmm. I'm actually not certified to teach yoga nidra yet, but that's on the horizon too.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: It's a very systematic way of bringing the body into that liminal space and the mind into the liminal space. So I would highly recommend it. And my teacher suggests practicing it twice a day, 20 minutes. Mm. So it really is, it's it's a very beautiful opportunity to do some rest and self-care.
0: Yeah. And bring the parasympathetic system more into play rather than the sympathetic or like the fight or
1: flight. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Hmm.
0: And so getting into more yoga poses for the listeners, like what are some poses or some tips that you can recommend to listeners to help them with their pelvic health?
1: Yeah, great question. I think the the main principle that we can all benefit from in any yoga position, or really just in our life in general is to invite a softening and an allowing specifically in the pelvis and the pelvic floor. So I I've been to many, many yoga classes where there is a lot of cueing for core engagement, pull the belly button in, pull your pelvic floor up and in. And especially for patients with pelvic pain, that cue might not be appropriate. Mm-hmm. And it is any with anyone in the population, it is always advantageous to be cueing the opposite to soften, to relax, to allow. Because if we're not finding that soft place, there's nowhere to contract or pull up and in or find strength from.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: So for example, in cat cow, we talked about earlier, I'll have someone in that arched position where the belly button is to the floor and the collarbones are spread wide and the chin is up. I'll say, inhale, breathe and soften into the base of your body. And then in the cat position where the, the body's domed away from the ground, The belly button might pull up and in, or if with my patients with pelvic pain, I'm actually not cueing a contraction at all. I'm just saying maybe find more space around the heart. So bringing the awareness up across the upper body. Child's pose is another really great place to practice connection Mm -hmm. I do love breath. child's pose. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> and I, I love the supported versions of child's pose. I actually have a few blogs that show how to use the props to support during those types of poses. And then starting to really link the awareness with the breath and the position of the pelvic floor. So, ideally, you watch a baby breathe and their whole belly expands and softens and opens on an inhale. And then things kind of tend to retract on an exhale. Well, if you watch an adult stressed out lawyer breathe, they're usually <laughs> just breathing up into their chest. <laughs> and the diaphragm's not not moving and therefore yeah. the pel- pelvic floor's not moving. So positions like child's pose or happy baby or... Any position like supported butterfly with the knees out wide where there's an opening of the inner thighs, a spreading of the sitting bones, I invite people to use the breath to soften at the base of their body. So perineum, anus, clitoris, urethra, everything gets softer and more spacious on an inhale. And then might maybe just kind of coming back to neutral on an exhale. It's not a pushing or a bearing down. Mm-hmm. It's just a letting go. Mm. How many minutes
0: or like how long would you recommend for someone to do this for?
1: Uh, it just depends on <laughs> on how much they like being. <laughs> um, <laughs> time they have in their day i uh-huh. i tend if i'm giving someone a home exercise program who's never done anything like this before i'll say pick your two most relaxing songs that you love and choose two yoga poses so maybe it'll be supported uh butterfly with the knees spread out wide or and child's pose and for the each of the songs do the pose for that long and mm-hmm. breathe mm-hmm and so that makes it feel a little less intimidating i think and doable
0: yeah yeah cuz you know all of us are so busy that it takes i mean if something is too long then it's less likely that someone's going to do it
1: yeah absolutely and so yeah. i'm i'm a big fan of the small doses of parasympathetic activity mm-hmm. throughout the day too because we tend to get all ramped up throughout the day and then say, okay, now I'm going to sit down and meditate or now I'm going to go to that yoga class. that's probably actually just uh, revving your system up anyways, uh-huh. rather than, okay, my, I'm going to turn off my phone for five minutes and just breathe <laughs> mm. or just find this position or journal or sing or yeah. do something that brings the nervous system down in small doses. Mm-hmm. That's a very, very powerful.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: And what I have been doing recently,
0: I, I know what well, I, I do meditation. Usually in the mornings I'll do about 10 minutes of meditation, which allows me to, yeah, just relax and start my day but I, I do notice that there are times throughout my day that I hold my breath and I always have to remind myself to breathe. <laughs> like I have to remind yes. myself, you need to take a deep breath, not just these little small, shallow breaths. So it is, it's is—it's important for me. And yeah, it's important for me on a regular basis to remind myself of my breath and what it's doing.
1: Yeah. And you know, physiologically, it's allowing fresh oxygen, fresh nutrients, fresh blood supply to circulate throughout your system. And that's how you're going to function most effectively. When we take these shallow breaths, the waste products aren't being circulated out of our system and we're Mm -hmm. not getting the oxygen. So we feel even more depleted Mm -hmm. or more painful or whatever the symptom is. So, Mm
0: -hmm. yeah. Yeah. And so uh, these poses that you were talking about, the child's pose, and the cat cow and all of those that could be, I mean, it sounds like it could be for anybody. Like anyone can do it regardless of any pain or anything that they are experiencing, like pelvic pain that they're experiencing. But the the conditions that you were talking about early on about endometriosis and tailbone issues and urinary incontinence, mm-hmm. you would also recommend these poses for people with these conditions.
1: Usually, Yeah. The findings that usually take place with those conditions are chronic holding patterns, trigger points, or hypertonic muscles, meaning muscles that um, don't want to turn off. I think we all kind of know what that feels like to have tension in our upper shoulder blades or mm-hmm. our jaws and those Holding patterns can take place inside the pelvic floor and inside the pelvic bowl, mm. just like anywhere else in our body. And so a lot of times with the pain conditions, a softening or a relaxation or a letting go of those muscles is therapeutic because the resting state is actually not resting. It's, it's hypertonic. Mm. Mm-hmm. So I actually had, Who was it on that we were talking about? Heather
0: Jeffcoat. We were talking about Kegels. She was talking about different Kegel exercises and when it is good and when it isn't good. But I remember her talking about many uh, vulva owners have a hypertonic pelvic floor and or like a tense pelvic floor and that Kegel exercises aren't going to help for them as they would for other people.
1: Right. That's very true. And that's kind of where the skill of a, a pelvic PT or a skilled gynecologist, who can rate the pelvic floor function and know by feeling where that comes in, because if it's hard to teach a group class, because I haven't had my finger in everyone's, <laughs> yeah. I don't, I don't know what's going on there. Yeah, but I, I think the safe cueing and the safe thing to say is that everyone should have a full available range of motion mm-hmm. meaning we should all be able to have a if we think of it like the bicep we should be able to extend and lengthen our arm so that our elbow is straight and then we should be able to flex our arms so that our fingers can touch our shoulder And the same thing is true of the pelvic bowl. It should be able to soften and open, and it should also be able to contract and lift up and in. Mm -hmm. But the problem is that we do live in this overachiever society, and everyone thinks that they should be doing 15 million kegels a day, Mm -hmm. And when in fact, softening could actually probably be most beneficial for the majority of us. Of us, yes. Yes, including me. I do believe that I have a more
0: hypertonic pelvic floor than a relaxed. So it is good to know about these breathing exercises that I'm definitely going to be practicing now. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> yes. <That's> great. Yeah. <laughs> and so talking about group sessions, tell us more
1: about your retreat. Oh, Sure. So Retreat to Your Root is my baby. (laughs) Mm -hmm. It came out of the fact that I was feeling depleted with one-on-one care and that I wanted to be able to continue the work that I do and love to a group that where I could be touching more people at once, basically, not physically, obviously, (laughs) but (laughs) (laughs) a grand scheme. Uh, So, so education is a huge piece of retreat to your root and just my approach in general, but being able to talk about the pelvis and the vagina and the vulva and the pelvic floor, and just let people know what's going on in their body, that alone is so healing. And basically retreat to your root is an educational based retreat experience for vulva owners where we talk a lot about things like the anatomy, physiology, and function of the pelvic floor, and then do practices like the yoga practices, like the breathwork, meditation, but also other things like dancing and hiking and drawing to help kind of embody the more didactic information. And as the weekend progresses, they're usually weekends. I've done a couple that are week long um, mm-hmm. groups, and as the experience progresses, we start talking about things that are a little bit more esoteric, the things that are more energy and emotional related. I do a lot of work that's based in the cycles and. What I've found is the most- Like powerful, moon cycles or- Yeah, um, uh-huh. moon cycles and menstrual cycles. Menstrual the, cycles. The cycle of a woman's life. Um, mm-hmm. So m- men are key to menopause and menopause. Okay. And a lot of that has been inspired by different trainings that I've done as well. But what I've found most powerful, honestly, is even if I had no curriculum, if we didn't do Anything that I planned, just bringing together groups of people of women of vulva owners who have had an experience of their bodies that has been kind of negative or full of shame or mm-hmm. or even just neutral, bringing together women to share their experience is ultimately extremely powerful mm-hmm. And the truth is we all have something, Mm -hmm. whether it's our mom or our sister, or we know someone with something going on in our pelvises. We've, you know, one in 10 women has endometriosis. There's so much physical and sexual trauma that's happened um, to women. There's kind of the overarching patriarchal (laughs) trauma that that Mm -hmm. happens with, with our bodies, with sex and sexuality in general. And so I've found that just providing a safe space and a circle for women to share their experiences, Mm -hmm. I can't do better than that, honestly.
0: (laughs) You know, I was actually, I've been thinking about doing small circles of women and not being a retreat, but just it, it being... A group of women talking about their bodies in some way. Uh, I was thinking more more uh, along the lines of body images and also stories about their vulvas because I feel like that is powerful in itself. So it sounds like the same thing. Um, getting women together, getting Volvo owners together and talking about their experiences. Cause I think that many of us feel that we are alone and that our experiences are only ours and that no one else shares it. So I think it's beautiful to have women's circles.
1: Definitely. Mm -hmm. And it's, it's such a, it's an area that's full of so much shame and fear and Mm taboo-ness that having people like me or like you who are doing the work of just Saying vulva, literally. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, putting it out there starts to, I think, over time, really decharge another area of our body, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, and, and give people permission to talk about it and to feel it and to start to heal it, which I think is really where all of this work is going.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Yeah, like. I have met many people that don't know what a vulva is and not any fault of their own. They just haven't gotten that education either from school or from life, real, you know, real world life. So even to educate people just on what the vulva is makes me very happy, (laughs) makes me (laughs) Me very happy, especially men. I think that there's a lot of men that don't know what a vulva is and they're like, oh, I know what it is. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, let me, let me know what it is. And they, they <laughs> stop and they're like, oh, it's the, it's the vagina, right?
1: <laughs> uh,
0: nope. No, it's not. <laughs> so it is good. Yeah. It's good to just educate people about the vulva. Like what is the vulva? It's Um, true. mm -hmm. It's
1: really funny where I just recorded with my boyfriend, uh, a video of him going through the vulva anatomy. So I'll have to tag you in it. That would be good.
0: Yeah. (laughs) That would be very good. Well, Casey, let the listeners
1: know where or how they can stay
0: in contact with you.
1: Sure. All the lovely stuff that you do. Yeah, my social media is probably the most updated frequently. So my Instagram is at Enlighten PT. There's no D. It's G. Just e, um, N, PT. Okay. And, and then, I will put these in
0: the um, the description.
1: And, and so I'll write the web- description. Sure. Yeah. Um, my website is Casey C A S I E D P T dot and you can sign up for my newsletter on my website.
0: Okay. Cool.
1: And then the to find out about
0: where the retreats will be held, you could just find that all on the website as well, correct?
1: Yeah. It's under the offerings tab. Okay. Okay.
0: And so what I have been doing for most, not all of my guests is at the inn, I ask them to just leave the listeners with something uplifting about the vulva a story, a, a fact, uh, whatever you want.
1: Oh, I love this. (laughs) How about an invitation to look at your vulva, which Mm -hmm. can be a little bit scary if you've never done it, but very powerful. And so here is just me giving you permission to grab a mirror and take a look.
0: I love it. (laughs) Yes. And and I I have not incorporated that into uh, my practice yet, but I do want to incorporate that of like when I do some type of pap smear or something like that, actually showing a woman with a mirror, her vulva, because uh, I think it's, it's very important. So yes, I love that, that permission for vulva owners to look at their vulva with the mirror.
1: <laughs>
0: that is great. Well, thank you so much, Casey, Dan, and Howard, for being on the podcast and sharing with our listeners how Mindfulness and yoga can really help their pelvic health. So thank I appreciate you, so you. Much
1: for having me. Thanks a lot.
0: Yes. All right.
1: So thank you,
0: everyone, for uh, joining us for another episode of Viva La Vulva. And I am your host, Dr. Kara Quant. Thank you for listening. Bye.